Good morning, Grace. How's everyone doing on this nice, soggy day? Glad you guys are here with us today here at Grace. I've missed a couple of weeks, so it feels like I've been gone for a month, but it's good to see everyone again. Had a fantastic time on vacation. Really enjoyed it. Needed a time off, but we missed you guys. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Sam Ferris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Grace, so I get the privilege of preaching once a month. And so today we're going to continue on our, our series in the book of Samuel. And we've been talking a lot about Saul lately, and so Saul's kind of transitioning to David. And so we've seen the relationship between David and Saul. Saul is, was king. He was the first appointed king from Samuel. And then he started getting these tormenting spirits, like something was, something was troubling Saul. So Saul was throwing these fits and a little baby, and so God provided him David. David played his harp for Saul and made him feel better. So every time that Saul would go into these rages and fits, David was, would play his harp. And, and he loved David, right? He, he was friends with David. They had a relationship, and it was a good relationship for the time being. And so we see that David served in this court. And David started getting more and more powerful. Saul would give him more and more tasks to do and, and things to, to be over. And so we see David, this poor shepherd boy, kill Goliath. And so now he's leading all these armies and he's serving in Saul's court and everything's going good until chapter 18. Until chapter 18. So today we're going to look at the relationships in the in the in the character of three different people. We're going to be looking at Saul. We're going to be looking at David and a, and a new character, a new person, Jonathan, which is Saul's son. And we're going to relate to these to our friendships, to, to our relationships. And now as I was going over this last two or three weeks, it made me realize that mm, I've got some work to do when it comes to relationships and friendships and how we should live and the, and the character that I should have. And so I think that every one of us in here can relate to what we're going to be reading today. But we're going to be in chapter 18. But I'll have to confess, I told first service that I'm, I'm a competitive person. And you can even ask Jeff and Jessica and our friends here at church that it doesn't matter if we're playing board games or sports. You know, I, I'm competitive. I hate losing more than I like winning. I'm just, I'm competitive. I turn everything into the competition. It's like I love going golfing and fishing. But it's hard for me to go fishing with my buddies because I turn it into a competition whether it actually is one or not. Usually it never is, but I turn it into one. So I struggle with that because I'm trying, if they catch three fish, I've got to catch four. And that's all I think about. I don't think about just having fun. It's a flaw of mine. Same thing with golfing. So I, I thought, hey, I can fix this. So one day I went fishing by myself and said, like, who are you going fishing with? I'm like, I'm nobody. I'm just going by myself. She's like, that's weird. I'm like, it kind of is, but I'm going anyway. And I enjoyed it, right? It wasn't a competition, but something was missing, right? That companionship was missing. Same thing with golf. I went golfing by myself and still do. I like it. It's a good time to get away and have time for yourself, but it's different. So if any of my friends called me up today, maybe not today, and say, hey, let's go golfing or go fishing, I I'm there. Right? That's one of my favorite things to do. I would much rather be with them than by myself. 
But I, th- I turn everything into the competition. And that's what Saul is going to be going through in this chapter. He's going to start seeing not David as a friend, but more of a foe. And so the title of today's message is Friend or Foe. And so let's, let's take this to our relationships. Are, are you being a friend, a godly friend to the people around you? Your, your co-workers, your best friend, your family? Are you being more of a, a foe? Are you for them? Or are you against them? And it all started great at first. The competition breeds jealousy. That's where it comes from. You get jealous of someone else having more than you, winning more than you, getting more trophies than you. And that jealousy eats at you. And Saul is going to experience some of this jealousy, and it's going to eat at him. It's going to, it's going to change his relationship with David. It's going to change his relationships with his family, and it changes him forever. So we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, so hang with me. Chapter 18, verse 1. This is after David had killed Goliath. This is after David finished talking with Saul. He met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact or covenant, a promise with David, because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe, taking off his robe and giving it to David. Together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Basically, everything that made him a warrior, everything that made him a king, he gave it to David. So right away, we see the character of Jonathan. His heart. He loved David. Not because David was cool and not because David was the best. It's because he saw David's heart. And that he saw that David's heart was for God. And if David's heart was for God and Jonathan's heart was for God, then they had an immediate bond. They had an immediate connection. But it wasn't just a, hey, buddy, how you doing type of friendship. He made a covenant. He made a promise. He made a promise to him that I will protect you. What I have is yours. My protection is now your protection. My royal robe is now your royal robe. My sword that I go out and battle with is now yours. See, Jonathan was putting David above himself. Everything that was meant to be Jonathan's, he was next in line. He gave it to David. So as we go through this and we we see these these characteristics of, of these people and their humility and their character, think about your own life. Think about your own friends. So Who is your heart drawn to? What type of friends are you drawn to? See, Jonathan loved David more than a brother. He loved him more than a brother because his heart was for God. See, I've heard it said that many times that blood's thicker than water. Right? That brotherly bond or sisterly bond is blood's thicker than water. But the spirit, but the spirit is deeper than blood. See, there's something about the Holy Spirit when we are unite with other Christians, when we are friends with other Christians, when our hearts are in the same place, that we have a bond, that we can be closer to someone than, than we share a womb with, 
or that we share a room with or we are family with. Some of my closest friends, actually my closest friends are in this room. It's because I know they have a heart for God and they know that my heart is for God. And Jonathan saw that. He didn't need proof. He didn't need proof. He saw it. So it's through the Holy Spirit we can be closer to someone than our own brothers and sisters. See, Saul's love, on the other hand, it might have been true at first. He actually might have actually loved David at first. It might have been intentional. It could have been true. But see, it became superficial for him. It was more than... It's more like, what could David do for him? Like, oh, I don't feel good today. That torment spirit's back. David, please play your heart for me. Make me feel better. And he would. But what was in it for him? So what could David do for him? Just play your heart, David. Say, true love seeks unity and puts others before yourself. So that's the difference of the, the character of Jonathan and the character of Saul. Jonathan put David above himself, right? He put himself beneath David. He took that royal robe off. He took his sword off. He took his shield off and gave it to David. And Saul was saying, no, all that stuff's still mine. All that stuff's still mine. You still play your harp. So who are you closest to now? Who, who is your heart drawn to? Who, what does your, who does your soul long to be with? What type of person does your soul seek out? What, what type of person are you friends with? So think about that as we go through this. What is it about them that draws your heart to them? So they say that whoever you hang out with tells everyone who you actually are. And see, so there's no church life and church friends, and there's no outside of church life and church friends. You can separate it all you want to, but they'll always be intertwined. They'll always be intertwined. They'll always be intertwined. So what, whoever you hang out with, that's what people's going to know about you. So who are your friends? See, that's why church family and small groups are so important, that we have the like mind, that we have that same spirit. See, Jonathan made a binding contract. He made a promise. He made a commitment. Right? This was like marriage. So we don't really think of our friendships with our buddies as a marriage. But it truly is. If you're a godly friend, you're going to treat it like a marriage. See, that's what Jesus wants from us. See, that, that true love is more than just feeling butterflies. True love is more than just... What can my friend do for me today? Or what can I do for you today? See, true friendship, true love is unconditional. And it's unbroken loyalty. So as I was reading through this, I'm like, when do people come to me for prayer? Do people seek me for advice? Do, do people look, know that Christ is in me because they see him in me? See, Jonathan saw David. But he didn't see just David for who he was. He saw his heart was for God. He saw that the Holy Spirit was with David. That's why they were close friends. That's why he was fine with that. 
He see, he joyfully surrendered everything that was supposed to be his, everything that was rightfully his. He was next in line to be king, and he gladly gave it up. He gladly surrendered his protection, his royal title, his robe, his clothing, the shirt off his back, and gave it to David. He surrendered to God. Say, so to be godly friends, we have to love God more. We have to surrender to him more. So we have to be willing to put ourselves beneath other people. That we have to lift up our brothers and sisters above ourselves. That we have to lift up our friends above ourselves. John said, here, take it. Take everything that belongs to me and it's yours. It's yours. I love you that much. I love God that much. This is for your good and his honor and his glory. So Romans 12 and 10 tells us to love with devotion, to honor others above ourselves. Love with devotion, honor others above ourselves. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 3, to not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble and to think of others more than ourselves. Think of others more than ourselves. Be humble. Don't be selfish. We're to seek the honor of others before ourselves. See, Jonathan realized that. See, Jonathan realized that it was okay for someone else to get the honor. He realized that it was okay for David to get the praise because he was with God and God was with him. See, that was his character. That he was honoring David above himself. So what kind of character are people seeing in your relationships? Are they seeing you lift others above yourself or is it all about you? Is it all about you? That was his character. That's what I want my life to be like. Even though I fail sometimes, that's what I want my life to look like. See, that's where we see a change in character in these friendships. Because Saul does not feel this way. God's spirit has left Saul. Saul can only see what's in front of him. Saul can only see David getting stronger and more powerful. He can only see that his kingdom that is slipping away from his grasp. He's becoming jealous. He's becoming envious. And he no longer loves David like he should. His relationships are changing. Verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people of Saul's officers alike. See, everything was going good. They're buddies. They're friends. He respects David. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine to Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. That's important there. They all came out to meet King Saul. But I want you to realize why he was seen. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. And David his ten thousands. Uh oh. This made Saul very angry. What is this? He said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. They're aiming for that. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. A jealous eye on David. See? 
It wasn't that they were singing to David. They were going out to meet King Saul. They probably came into the town. They had their arms wrapped to each other. They just won a victory. They, they won the championship. They killed Goliath. David killed Goliath. Everything was good. They're singing their praises until that one line of that one song. Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. See, it wasn't that they were not praising Saul. They sang about him first. He didn't realize that though. That was, he didn't even notice that. All he noticed was the number. David caught ten fish and only caught five. See, that's what he was thinking. That's what he was thinking. And in that moment, that moment of jealousy, it changed his life forever. It, it tormented him. That's all he could think about was David, 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 and how much better he is than me. How dare they praise him more than me. See, it changed his relationship forever. Jealousy. He kept a jealous eye on David. David would never, ever live up to his expectations ever again. He would treat him differently from now on. See, jealousy is a poison you swallow hoping the other person dies. Jealousy, envy, hate is a poison that you swallow, that I swallow, hoping the other person dies. David was starting to have his praises sung. And this drove Saul crazy. So when you see your friends or, or someone else get praises that you think you deserve, does it drive you crazy? Does it make you jealous? Does it make you envious? Does it drive you to hate? It did Saul. So they were tight before this. They were tight before the, the women of the town started singing this song. Maybe he would react differently if men were singing the song. I don't know. But the attention of the women, the attention of those women singing that song changed him forever. It made him jealous. So this is usually where all jealousy starts is attention. When someone else is getting more attention than me, when someone else is getting more credit than me, we start to be jealous. And as I was preparing this, the only thing I could think about was Toy Story, one of my favorite cartoons. You know what I'm talking about. What happened in Toy Story at the very, very beginning? You have Woody. You know, he's like the king of the toys, right? He's got it all made. You know, Andy's name's at the bottom of his boot. He carries him everywhere. It's all about Woody, right? And all the other little toys, they get put in the background, but they're fine with it. And then comes Buzz Lightyear. Comes Buzz Lightyear on the scene, right? And Woody's whole demeanor changes. Now, he doesn't go to the links that Saul's going to go to but he's envious he's jealous and yes I'm using a cartoon as a reference to this because <laughs> here comes Buzz Lightyear he's got those cool wings he thinks he can fly everybody else thinks he can fly but he's like he can't fly you're a toy right so you can't do how dare they sing about him he's got laser it's just a light he can't do anything without laser and all the all the other toys love Buzz Lightyear, right? He's so cool. Everybody's so envious and so jealous. But I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story because I want you to go home and watch it because apparently some of you haven't. Shame on you. But we have to have compassion over comparison. See, comparison will kill compassion every time. 
So that envy was eating at Woody, right? That jealousy was eating at Woody until he had a change of heart. Saul was being ate alive. One, because God's spirit has left him. So when God's spirit left him, those, those jealousy and that envy could enter in. And it took over his life. It took over his relationship. See, Saul compared, but Jonathan had compassion. Saul compared, but David had compassion. So jealousy, it can create a blindness to success. It can blind your own success. That you can't see your own success because you're worried about everyone else's. You might be too worried about other people's successes because you see what they're getting. Jealousy creates a blindness to success. See, it should have been like, who cares who killed the most? Who cares that you killed Goliath and I didn't? Who cares about who caught more fish? See, that should not be what it's about. It should have been, hey, we're on the same team. We want a great victory. They should have went arm in arm, right, and sang that song together because they were victorious. No, because of jealousy. And that jealousy created hate. See, when a victory occurs in the church, see, we're too quick to, to be jealous of other churches, other church members. Oh, they serve coffee way better than that other person. Oh, that person, he's, he's a great greeter, but that other guy, he stinks. We think like that. You know how miserable my life would be if I stood up here and I compared myself to Dennis and Teresa and Jeff? And that's so hard not to do. That's so hard not to do. But it would eat at me if I'd done that. We can't do that. We cannot judge others. See, we have to put other people's success above our own. It's okay. It's okay. See, when a victory occurs, especially for God's kingdom, we have to rejoice in that. We have to rejoice in that. I should want other people to get praises. You should want other people in your life to get praises and put them above yourself. But all too often, we don't. See, 99 out of 100 people could sing our praises. Oh, you're so good. You're so great. You did all these good things. Great job. But one person could tell you the opposite. And that's all you would remember. That's all you would be focused on. And I know this firsthand. I coached football for many, many years. And I had pretty good success. Had a great group of guys, year in and year out. And they knew who my character was. I, I tried to lead them the best I could. They, they knew I was a youth pastor. And they knew that, that I was a pastor. And they knew that I loved God. And I never had any problems with any parents whatsoever. And that's almost unheard of in coaching. Almost unheard of. All I had was my praises saying, you're doing such a great job. You know, they might not be that good this year, but you're doing a great job with them. And I, I stayed humble through the whole thing because it wasn't about me. It was about them. But there was this one time, this one instant, we had a jamboree. And this is a jamboree is like a scrimmage, and it, it's a running clock. So you have to get everything in. You have to get everyone in, and, and you got to do it in a hurry, right? So the beginning of the season, it's, it doesn't even count. And see, the kids work hard all summer, 
And they practiced all summer. So it was, it was our job to make sure that everyone got playing time. Yeah, you tried to run your plays and figure out who's going to be in what position and things like that. But you had to get everyone in. Because everyone deserved to be in that practiced all summer. And I always did that. It never failed. I got everyone in. They, everyone that wanted to play got to play. Except this one time. I don't know how, but we got to asking everybody and who's not been in, who's not played. And we looked through our list. Everyone's been in. And we were none the wiser until we got back to school. And, and then this dad came walking up to me. And I was like, you know, I was smiling and happy, you know. And, he's, and, and he said some stuff to me that I don't want to repeat. And that was the first time that I ever had a confrontation with a parent. He made his son quit. And I should have left it there. I should have left it alone. So I'm not on any kind of social media. But that day I got on the internet. And so happens that he was also bashing me on the internet. Talking about my character. Man, that hurt. And it hurt. It stung. Even when people come to my rescue that I didn't even know, it still bothered me. It still bothers me to say, I don't remember any good things that any parent ever said about me. I can't, I know their faces, I know they say great things about me, but I don't know it word for word. But I remember those words. That one time, I remember those words. See, 99 people can sing our praises, but one time, and that's all you're stuck on. Saul had his praises sang all the time. Everything was going good for Saul. Saul had everything he wanted, but that one time that someone was elevated above him, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle it. So if we're worried about someone getting credit for something, then we'll begin to watch others with a jealous eye. With a jealous eye. See, Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is a thief to joy. When we compare, it's a thief to our joy. We have to have compassion over comparison. And it's hard to, compa- to count our blessings. It's hard to count the blessings that God gave us when we're counting everyone else's. When we see that what God's doing in everyone else's life except our own. And Saul's going through this. this. This envy, this jealousy is turning into rage. It's turning into hate. Jealousy will make you hate 10 through 16. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. He began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing his harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. And suddenly, he hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David, and he turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him to commander over a thousand men. So basically, got demoted. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued succeeding in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful in leading his troops into battle. We've seen this tormenting spirit in Saul before. And David, instead of running, David, instead of fighting back, kept playing his harp. He dodged and kept playing his harp. He was doing what God wanted him to do. 
See, jealousy will make us hate others and make us attack others. You may not be throwing spears at them, but it makes you attack. It makes you hate them. It may be your spears or words. Maybe it's actions. I know I've thrown some spears in the past. See, Saul loved David one minute, and then he hated him the next. He had his arm around him one minute, singing his praises, and the next he hated him because he was putting himself above. And he's fearful. See, this is not the fear of spiders or birds or any other kind of weird fear like that that we go through. This was the fear of being left out. This was the fear of going unnoticed. This was the fear of not being seen. This was the fear of everyone else getting the attention and you not getting any. And see, let's just face it. We we were born self-seeking people. From the womb, we started demanding food right then. We demanded to be held right then. We demanded to be warm right then. Right? We were born sinners. We were born selfish. We wanted what we wanted right then. And that's never gone away. But that jealousy leads to fear. Some fear being left out. See, this type of fear keeps you from realizing what God has in store for you. This fear can keep you from seeing what God's doing in other people's lives. The good things that he's doing in your brother's or your sister's lives, your friend's lives. If you're jealous, it's going to create a blindness to that, and you're just going to hate them for it. You're going to resent them for it. This type of fear keeps us from loving others the way that we should. That type of fear is going to, it's like a poison that we're trying to swallow. It's like a poison that we're trying to give to our friends, hoping that it's going to kill them, but it doesn't. It just hurts us. John 3 John the Baptist is in his ministry of leading the way for the Messiah. And he has his followers and they're, you know, they, they, they're following him and, and they realize that Jesus is baptizing others. And look how they react. Look how they react. So, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met at the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. Can you believe that? And everybody's going to him instead of us. Can you believe that someone else is going to a different church and being saved and baptized and not instead of coming here? John replied, no one can receive anything. And see, here we see John the Baptist's character. See, his character was, his heart was filled with God's spirit. It's not like Saul. Right? This was Jonathan's spirit. This was David's spirit. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. I'm only here to help prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So that's what we should be. He should become greater and greater, and we should become less and less. And that re- involves our relationships with our friends. To be godly friends, we must become less and less, and we must become, our friends must be greater and greater. We should rejoice in their successes. 
when someone else does something great for God, we should not be envious of that. We should not be jealous of that. We should become less and less. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's like, they had this big thing going, like, do we listen to Paul and follow Paul? Do we listen to Apollos and follow Paul? It's kind of like, do we go to this pastor or do we listen to this pastor? Do we go to this church or do we listen to this church? And it became a divide. And so too often we have a divide in our own lives, in our church lives. We should be on the same team. Listen to what Paul says. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. We're only his servants. There's nothing good about Paul. There's nothing good about Apollos. There's nothing good about Sam. We're only God's servants to whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It was God who made it grow. And it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together in the same purpose, with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded. Both will be rewarded. For their own hard work. For we are both God's workers. We are all God's workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. We're all on the same team. See, Paul got it. Jonathan got it. John the Baptist got it. That he should be more and more and greater and greater. And we should be less and less. That our brothers and sisters, our friends, should be more and more. And we should be less and less. His kingdom is greater than our kingdom. Saul did not see it that way. So this is the mentality that we should have. Jonathan displayed this type of character. See, he realized that God's kingdom was bigger. See, Jonathan had a kingdom mind, all right, but it wasn't on his kingdom. It was on God's. It was on a kingdom that was bigger. It was on a kingdom that was greater than what could ever be on the earth. See, godly friendships are intentional, not conditional. And see, we're going to see this transition that Saul is going from loving David and being David's friend to only loving and having David as a friend conditionally. Anybody ever love friends conditionally? So read verse 17. It says, One day Saul said to David, I am ready to give you my older daughter Merib as your wife, but first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. Hadn't David proven enough already? For Saul thought, I will send him out against the Philistines to let them kill him rather than doing it myself. One, because he was afraid. See, Jonathan displayed this unconditional love. David showed this unconditional love. He could have left. He could have killed Saul. But he kept playing his harp. He kept serving Saul. That was their character. That was their humility. But because of jealousy, because of that rage, because of that hate, he only loved David conditionally. He only loved him conditionally. He, see, he didn't want David to succeed. He didn't want David to marry his daughter. 
He didn't want David to marry his daughter. He wanted him to die. That's how much he hated David. That's how much he was afraid of David. So he goes on. You do this. You can have my oldest daughter married in marriage. And David's like, who am I to marry a king's daughter? But he went out and done it anyway. He won a great victory. But before David got back, he gave his older daughter to someone else. David was, he was probably hurt by it, but he was okay. But in the, in the meantime, David fell in love with Michelle, his other daughter, and she loved him back. He's like, ah, oh, this is my chance. This is my next chance. So now you have a second chance to be my son-in-law, David, on one condition. On one condition. And this is where it gets weird. I always get the weird ones. I don't know why. Sarah told me to skip over this and not even read it. But, you know, I told her that, you know, I'm, I'm slightly trained, semi-professional individual so I can handle it. You can marry Michelle on one condition. See, he loved him, but conditionally. When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told him, Tell David, and I'm not making this stuff up, Tell David all I want for the bride is 100 Philistine foreskins. No one else find that weird but me? <laughs> Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. But what Saul had in mind was David would be killed in the fight. Surely if, if I make him, if I give him this task, there's no way that he's going to survive this. There's no way. But David was after God's own heart. God's spirit was in David and on David. It's like David's like, fine. David delighted to accept the offer. Before the time that he expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. What can it be like a hundred bag of potato chips or something? I don't know. Anything. If, you, if anybody, anyone doesn't know what a foreskin is, Jeff has a picture that he's going to put. I'm just kidding. There's not. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. All right, let's move on. It's going sideways quick. Going sideways quick. Focus. Then David filled the king's requirement by presenting all of those things to him. So Saul gave his daughter, Michal, to David to be his wife. And you would think... He'd be happy, life goes on, happily ever after, but not so much. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michelle loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the other rest of Saul's army and officers. So David's name became very famous. So his plan was backfiring. He became more and more afraid of David, not because David was greater than him, but because Saul knew that no matter what he did, he could never outdo David because God's Spirit was with him. And he knew that God's Spirit had left him. See, that was the thing about the Spirit in the Old Testament. 
God's Spirit could come and go as He pleased. Go in one person and then out the next. So that's the, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit of the New Testament. That when Jesus died on that cross for us and His Holy Spirit, when we ask Him in, it dwells inside of us and He never leaves us. He never leaves us. See, Saul didn't want David to succeed. He wanted him dead. See, David not only succeeded, but he doubled it. You want 100 skins? Here's 200. Top that. And see, we do this all the time in our own friendships. That we love and we have friends conditionally. Well, they didn't help me move, so I'm not helping them move. I know he's going to ask me. I'm not helping Ever been there before? Or, let's see, they didn't buy me a Christmas present, so there's no way I'm going to spend my money and buy them a Christmas present. If you really wanted to be my friend, you would do this. If you really love me, you would dot, dot, dot. Hopefully it's not a hundred Philistine foreskins, but you get the idea. That we put conditions on our friendships. That I'll be your friend. I will love you if you do this for me. I will love you and lift you up if you love me back and lift me back even higher. That's what we do. I've been guilty of this. See, but true love is unconditional. True love is intentional. See, Jonathan realized that. Jonathan lived that. John the Baptist lived that. Paul lived that. And later on in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Saul now urged his servants and his own son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. So I can't get this guy died in battle and he keeps doing what I ask him to do and then he's grateful for it even though I throw spears at him all the time. He still hangs around and, and plays his heart for me. I don't get it. So the only thing I can do is have others assassinate him. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. So Jonathan risked his life. He risked his life by going and telling, and telling David what was about to happen. And Later on in chapter 19, he pleads He goes to his father. He goes to Saul. He pleads, Dad, Father, King Saul, do not kill David. He has done nothing wrong to you. He's done nothing but do what you ask him to do. He's done nothing but love you and be devoted to you. There's no way that you should kill him. I want you to recognize the parallel here of Jonathan going to his father and pleading David's case to him. Do not kill him. Do not condemn him. He's done nothing wrong. And Saul, for a few minutes, had mercy. Said, all right, I'll not kill him. He will not die. Finishing up verse 9 and 10. So, but one day when Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand. At this point, don't you think people should have kept spears from Saul's hands? Like, why does he always have a spear in his hand after he throws all these fits? I don't know, but... He had it. So maybe we need to start having those weapons around us at all times. 
You're carrying around your weapons. You're carrying around your spears at all times, ready to be thrown. Saul did because of that hate, because of that envy, because of that fear. He always had that spear in his hand. He always had that spear ready to be slung and thrown. That tormenting spirit again from the Lord suddenly came upon him. And David played his harp. Saul hurled his spear at David. But David, because he was the matrix, the first matrix, dodged out of the way, leaving the spear stuck into the wall. He fled and escaped into the night. Saul flung his spear again and again and again. So we see the character of David here. He was humble. He served God. He served God right where God wanted him, even though it was dangerous. David had every right to fight back. He had every right. So we're taught to fight back. We're taught to fight back. You're, you're not strong if you don't fight back. He didn't even throw his harp at him. He kept playing. Spears coming at him. He's still playing his harp. Calm down, Saul. Calm down. Didn't work. Ever seen, or you ever thrown a tantrum, you're hurling dishes, or, you're, you know, your kids are throwing toys. You're like, calm down, calm down. See, some people may throw spears because they're jealous of you. See, what we need to see is when spears get hurled at you, and you will have spears thrown at you. You will have rocks and things thrown at you. You'll have insults thrown at you. That you duck, you dodge, you dive, you roll out of the way. You be like David. You duck and you dodge and you don't hurl them back. That's some restraint. David had some restraint not to hurl them back. You serve God long enough. Someone's going to throw some spears at you. You follow God long enough. Someone's going to throw a spear. You walk with God long enough. Someone's going to throw a spear. People, when they look at you, they should look all around you and see those spears laying everywhere. Laying all around you that you've never thrown one back. And that is so hard. That takes so much discipline not to hurl them back. Not to hurl that insult back. Not to hurl those words back. That when you see someone being elevated, that you don't get jealous, that you don't get envious, that you put those others above you and you lower yourself. See, David lowered himself. When spears get thrown your way, when those words get thrown your way, that you be like David, that you duck and you dodge and you roll out of the way and you don't hurl them back. You don't hurl them back. So how do you fight that? How do you fight that envy? How do you fight that jealousy? How do you fight when people don't want you to succeed? When, how do you fight when spears get thrown your way? Listen to what Peter tells us. He says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy. Because jealousy is what led to all this. Jealousy is what leads you to be afraid of others. Jealousy is what leads you to being afraid of other people's success. And you not glorying in their success. Jealousy leads to you not seeing what God's doing in their life. Jealousy leads to 
not seeing what the other church, churches are doing for other people. Become jealous. It says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And all unkind speech. In other words, don't throw the spear. Lay down your spears. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Cry out to it. Cry out to God. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. That's how you lift others up above yourselves because you've tasted his kindness. That's how we do it. And we, we go to him. We cry out to him. We stay in his word. We get nourished by his word, his spiritual milk. That is the only way that we fight it. Because we're all like Woody. We're all like Saul. We all get jealous from time to time. This is the only way that we fight it. This is the only way that we don't throw the spear back. When spears get thrown your way, don't hurl them back. Just keep playing that harp. Keep singing God's praises. Keep praying to God. Keep living for Him. Keep walking for Him. Stay in His Word so that you're nourished. So all the spears that are thrown at you, stay at your feet. That you don't hurl them back. See, Saul was afraid of David because he realized that God's Spirit had not only left him, but it was with David. He wasn't afraid of David because he was so big and powerful and he killed Goliath. It's because every time he knew that he attacked David, he was going to fail because God was with him. That every time that he tried to touch David, he knew that he would be touching God. And he was afraid. He was afraid. See, people should realize that God walks with us. People should realize that we have his spirit living in us. The way we talk, the way we walk, how we treat others, how we lift each other up, how we lift others above ourselves. Everything that we do and everything that we say is a testimony to our relationship with Christ. Everything that we do or say, our walk, how we treat our friends, do we love them unconditionally or do we put conditions on them? Do we lift them up over, uh, above ourselves? Jonathan said, here, take everything that I have. Everything that I, I deserve, everything that I, I'm in line for, it's yours, David. Are we doing that with our friends? Here, have everything that I have. Not just, not just to show off, not just a little bit of help, not, a, not some money or help here, here and there. Do you give them everything? See, that's what marriage is. It's a covenant. And we should be loving our friends just like we love our spouse. That sounds weird in a way. But it's what God intended. That's how God intended our friendships to be, that we love them unconditionally. That we don't put conditions on our friends. So in closing... I officiated a wedding yesterday, and, and I read this scripture in every wedding. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The beginning says that, you know, I can do all these things, but if I've not loved others, I'm nothing. I could have all the faith in the world, but if I don't love, I'm nothing. I could do all these things, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. In verse 4, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It's not proud or it's not rude. 
I've been jealous. I've been boastful. I've been proud and I've been rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of wrongs. It does not rejoice by injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So not only should we treat our spouse this way, not only should we love our husbands and our wives and our family this way, but we should also love our friends this way. That it's not boastful, it's not proud, that we're not envious, we're not jealous. And it does not keep wrongs. See, Jonathan gave up in his right to the palace. He gave up his right to the palace. See, if you haven't recognized the correlations yet, Jesus gave up his right to his palace for us. See, Jesus purchased our place in the palace with his blood. Like Jonathan, Jesus laid his side. When we didn't deserve it, Jesus said, here, my royal robe, I'm going to wrap it around you. He goes to the Father and pleads our case before him. Just like Jonathan went to Saul and pleaded for David's life. Jesus went to the cross. He went to the Father to plead our case to him. And he covers us in his royal robe. Everything that we did not deserve, he said, here, it's yours. Just like Jonathan gave everything to David, even though he didn't deserve it. Jesus gives everything to us, even though we don't deserve it. Saul threw spears at David. Saul hurled spears at David. Jesus took the spear for us. Jesus took the spear for me. He took the spear for you. Do you know him today as that king? Do you know him today as your king? Are you focused on your own kingdom? Are you focused on your own successes? Maybe you're here today and you've got some mending to do. You've got some apologies due. You have some forgiveness you need to give out. Turn it over to him today. That jealousy, that hate that leads to conflict, turn it over. Crave that spiritual milk. Crave his word. Even when we betrayed him, even when we turned away from him, says everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. What a friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you this day. We thank you for all the relationship that you put in our lives, Lord. Lord, I just I pray that each and every one of us go out here and, and we elevate others above ourselves, that we make ourselves less and less and we make it about you more and more. And that we not only like our friends, that we love them unconditionally, that we love them even when they throw spears at us, that we don't put conditions on them, that we love them unconditionally. Lord, shape our character. Change our character to look more and more like you. That it's not about us. It's not about our accomplishments. It's not about our victories. It's about yours. 
Father, I lift up everyone in these seats. You know what they're going through. You know what they're feeling. Lord, if they, if they need to forgive someone, Lord, give them the strength to forgive. Maybe there's, maybe there's people in here today that are needing forgiveness. Lord, I pray that, that they get that forgiveness that they need. Father, give us the strength to stay focused on you. And when the spears get hurled at us, we just praise you and honor you and glory in you. And we duck and we dodge and we praise you anyway. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.